What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience. The podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. We're super excited to have you guys, and we're also super excited to introduce our guest, which is Marshall Gillen. Marshall Gillen is a motivational speaker. He's a business coach. He's a fitness guy, and he's also very new to sobriety. He's just recently gotten sober and has over 100-plus days. Marshall explains his story, his journey, where he is now, how he got there, and there's a bunch of other nuggets offered up in the show throughout the show. Marshall is a motivational speaker. He speaks so well. He has a lot of great mantras and takeaways, and the language that he uses is very universal. I think all of our audience members will have a takeaway from the show, so listen all the way through. We really hope you guys get a lot out of it, and we're about to dive right in. All right, guys. Well, we have a very special guest today, Mr. Marshall Gillen. Did I say that right? You got it, brother. You nailed it. Ooh, there we go. All right, cool. Well, welcome to the show, man. We're super glad to have you. How are you doing over there? Oh, man, I'm super stoked, uh, super honored to be here. I live in Montana in a cabin, basically in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. Uh, nice. And even the internet at my house is not very good. So I'm very isolated and disconnected. So the fact that I'm here with you guys, <laughs> like seeing some faces, getting to talk, I'm like, oh, yeah, what's up? So uh, I'm doing good today, man. Really, really good day. How are you guys? Really good. I can't complain. The weather here is perfect. So uh, enjoying that a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know if both of you went, but I saw you just got back from a, an event. You're at an Arte event. Are you part of that mastermind? I am. I am. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I should have pulled the trigger on it this year. Okay, maybe next you year. You really should have. And the next oh, time they I have an FOMO. opening, you need to get in there. It was, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know if it was just because it was the first live event I've been to in so long. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that was all it, but it was just amazing just to be around a lot of yeah. like-minded entrepreneurs who are 100%. Uh, doing really well in life. And then just the content from Ed, Andy, and all the guests is there's just nothing like 100%. it. 100%. Super yeah, it's, nice it's to be It's so part interesting. It's it's like we're all so isolated for so long, you know, and it's like leading up to 2020, it, I felt like everybody's like, leave me alone. I don't want to be around people like, oh, and now all of a sudden it's like you're seeing the world start to open back up and it's like just to be able to travel and go to an event, but like just to connect with people. It's kind of like, oh, man, I I like that's what the real business is. Right. So I, I just was cool to see the pictures on the timelines and stuff this week. And I was like, oh, community, like, yay. It was, uh, I didn't even realize how much I missed it until I was doing it. And that right? was like as oh, much fun that. as all the content I got, just being around people and uh, in that kind of atmosphere. There's nothing like that for sure. And of so course, true. First Form is amazing. Andy's building is like top yeah. notch and everything he has. So uh, definitely inspirational there too. Yeah, it, it's cool too, because it's interesting since like everything I've learned in business is kind of like transitioned to my recovery as well. And it's like, uh, when I was starting this whole sobriety journey, it was like, uh, I kind of took a look at what made me successful in business. And I was like, okay, how do I become successful in sobriety? And the first thing I did was join a community. And that was really like the first thing, uh, first time that I'd been around people in a while. So like, a little bit different than building million dollar businesses, but uh, the community was like, I mean, it was so powerful. It was so healing. I don't think I could have done it without it. Dude, yeah, exactly. That's so cool. I like what Angie said too. It's like you don't know what you got till it's gone, type of deal, especially with the community. 
But I think that's like a beautiful place to start, Marshall. It's kind of like how you got into recovery and like what that looked like. So, I mean, you kind of have the floor to tell tell that story, yeah. however short or long it is. But I think yeah, the man. audience could really take away a lot from this journey to recovery and like the life that yeah. led up to it type of deal. If you don't mind sharing that, Dude, that'd be awesome. A hundred percent. And what a cool platform to be able to, to share this. And if you guys are listening, you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you guys do that. But if you are listening to this and you, you are now, or you've ever found yourself distracting yourself from the things that you need to do. And then because of that, you found yourself with like anxiety and doubt and fear and judgment and all these things. And then my story is definitely going to be for you. Um, it's crazy, man. I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. And like, we didn't grow up with very much money and we didn't grow up where people could tell, like told you, like you could be anything you want. And so <laughs> it's like, especially as like a, as a, as a man, not that women are excluded by any means, but like growing up on a farm, being very blue collar, being Mr. Football and class president and prom king and all that stuff. It's like, I felt like my self-worth was always based on performance, except like I had a dad that was gone because he was an alcoholic, never saw him. And then my stepdad was just incredibly emotionally and psychologically abusive to me, would tell me how worthless I am every single day. And my mom was the best. My mom was the best. There we go. Um, you know, like, yeah, my lot of people would ask, you know, why don't you go tell your mom? It's like, well, where I grew up in the era, I grew up in in the eighties and nineties, like you didn't really run inside and tell tell mom that your dad was picking on you, and so this whole kind of ideology of me growing up, you know, leads into me dropping out of college. I got a full academic ride uh, to go to school. I dropped out of co that college. I was actually a five time college dropout. Uh, I've attempted my life. Uh, drug addict. I've been arrested multiple times, multiple DUIs, divorced. And so it's crazy because my life was always one big like story of basically just never feeling good enough. And so I had this, this like false belief that no matter how good I did or how much success I had, it would never matter because the people I wanted to care never cared. And so it's like this story that was running over and over in my head. And so I would constantly find ways throughout my entire life to waste every opportunity I had uh, everything that I, I could, I just destroyed. And it was usually in, I would get drunk and then I would start doing drugs and then I would break my whole entire life. And I would do that like seven days a week for like nine years straight. And I was so angry and so mad all of the time. And eventually when I was 23, I'm 36 uh, right now. At the time I was 23, I just was like, this is, I don't want any more of this. I was like 2,100 miles away from home. Uh, I was living in San Diego all by myself, like in this, in this apartment that had nothing in it besides an air mattress and like some DVDs and clothes. Cause I was spending, actually I was, I was spending my college scholarship money to buy drugs. So I was just getting high all day. And then finally I was just like, this is dumb. And so I tried to take my life and uh, it didn't work. I woke up in the hospital the next morning and it's interesting real, real quick on, on suicide. I don't know if anybody's not to trigger anybody. I don't know who's ever experienced anything like that. But I think my heart bleeds so much for that community and why like my mission as an entrepreneur is focused on helping people with that is because it's like, it's just such an emotional reaction. And the, the second that I did it, I had instant regret, but it was like, I couldn't do anything to, to turn it around. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I also don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and thank God for your life still. And that was kind of like my wake up call when I was like, whoa, like what's going on here? But the thing that was, is I had so much judgment and shame and guilt around trying to do that and so much embarrassment that I then tried to act like I was somebody I wasn't. And I didn't do this on purpose. Like right. you don't know you're doing this. 
And then four years later, uh, I had a best friend. He was going through very similar times. And um, I'll never forget, it was uh, March of 2014. Dustin calls me on the phone. I'm still dealing with my own shit. I know that he's, he's going through what I was going through. Uh, I didn't open up to him or tell him anything because I was like, oh my God, I can't tell him what I did, you know? And so uh, Dustin calls me in March of 2014 and he leaves me a voicemail. I listen to it and he's crying. He says, Marshall, it's Dustin. Uh, I need your help, man. Uh, call me when you get this right late. And I just remember thinking like, okay, I'll call him tomorrow. Like, let me get through the night. I'll call him tomorrow. Tomorrow turned into this weekend. This weekend turned into next week. And eventually it was about a month and a half later. And I get woken up at 4.30 in the morning and it was his sister. And his sister was like, uh, Marshall, um, Dustin's gone. He hanged himself last night. He's dead. And I'll never forget that moment, how much guilt I, I assigned myself. Cause I was like, bro, like if you had just answered that call, like, you know what it's like to do that and then to regret it. And then to be lucky enough to have God spare your life. Like, what are you doing? That was your best friend. And it's interesting because at the age of 24, when I met Dustin, he was the first man in my life to ever tell me, I love you. And he taught me how to be vulnerable. He used to be so vulnerable with me, but I never opened up to him. And so it's interesting because at 27, when that happened, I made a decision to change my life. And I was like, I have a story. I'm going to turn my mess into my message. I've always wanted to be a motivational speaker. And I'm going to figure out how to do that. At the time, I was a broke-ass bartender. I was working three bartending jobs, trying to keep my head above water in San Diego, like in and out between doing you know lines in the bathroom and chugging beers and going to parties. Like I had no, what am I talking about? But I just felt this calling. I, I don't know where it came from. Like It wasn't like I sat down and thought about it. And so from 27 until I was about 33, I built a business. Um, coming from a farm and coming from addiction and coming from trauma, I thought and I was taught that if I make a lot of money and I help a lot of people and I become really well known for what I do, that I'll be happy and I'll feel fulfilled and I'll be loved and all these things. And so in 2019, I was at the peak of everything that I had built. I had, uh, I was just getting ready to scale for our first seven figure year. I was, uh, had a company called top paid speaker. I had the girl, I was living in a luxury high rise, downtown San Diego, overlooking both of the bars I used to look at when I used to think my life wasn't going to change. Like, dude, I had a globally known speaker. I'm like, this is everything I worked for. And it was in one moment. I'll never forget. I was host. I used to host these monthly events. I w- came home. So at nine 30, I walk into my condo. I'm looking at the skyline. And all of a sudden I realized that like all these things that I was promised that was going to change my life that I worked for, that I became this person for was all bullshit. It didn't fulfill me at all. It, it was so empty. And I felt like such a prisoner. I felt even lower in that moment than I did the year that I tried to take my own life. And so it's interesting because the question was, well, what is your story to, to sobriety? The thing with it is, bro, is I've been traveling the world for four or five years, four years at a time, right? Be, get, winning awards, setting records, all this crazy stuff, making money, transforming lives, saving lives, hundreds of testimonials. My, my, made my clients over $114 million, like all the things. So why was I so empty? Like, why, why, why did I feel like such a fraud? And, and that was the big thing. And it's interesting because seeing me on stage or anywhere during my journey of coming up in social media, what people don't know is that that was at the height of my cocaine addiction. Like I was a cocaine user and then I stopped for a long time, but then it was like this fear of success or this imposter syndrome. So it's crazy because when you really think of like when an addict, what's an addict look like, you know? 
people aren't thinking that the addict is the guy who's standing on stage, all clean cut, saying the right things, having people going, Marshall, you saved my life. Oh my God, you make me a better parent. They don't see that as an addict. And so my thing is so crazy because it's like, I wonder how many other people like Marshall Live are out there that like, you know, are, are doing this thing because I was good at it, but I, the pressure would mount so much. And I would, okay, we made 30, 40, 50 grand this month. How am I going to do it again? How am I going to do it again? And, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground, they say, right? And so you, 12 o'clock runs and rolls around. You're in San Diego, walk down, you know, get a beer and uh, I'll give you one beer and a shot turns into like, oh, let's see if we can get a bag of something. And so this has been my pattern. And I felt like I was perpetually in this wheel of getting ready to just like to blow up. And so I had to take a look at my life because I know we live in an energetic universe. And I was like, why, why is this loop keep happening? I don't understand why this loop keeps happening, but really what it was, is it came down to my drinking because every single time that I had a moment of weakness or doubt, which was all the time, I would distract myself and mask it with alcohol, which I knew then would allow, would, would trigger me to go do drugs. And it's odd or ironic almost because I didn't realize at the time, but when I was high, it was the only time I was present. And so the only time my mind would stop was I was high. Yeah, I was like pacing back and forth in that little Coke dungeon, like <laughs> doing nothing, right? Just tweaking by myself. Yeah, but it's like I was present and I didn't know that that's what my soul was actually craving. And so something in, changed in 2019. I just burnt it all down in November, burnt everything down, left my five-year relationship, burnt down my business, burnt up my network, like... I didn't do it very gracefully and I would probably do it different if I was aware now, but I burnt everything down and I left San Diego after 13 years. I left the motivational thing and I came here to Montana. And so I've literally been hanging out in the woods and in the wilderness uh, by myself and it's, um, it's changed, but I didn't stop drinking. The only difference is I can't get drugs in, in Montana, which has been good, but still just not, not that long ago. Today is my 113th day of sobriety. And nice. uh, so it wasn't that long. I wasn't that long ago um, that I, I, I was drinking with my buddy, like one of my buddies out here and a little bit of day drinking turned into night drinking. Next thing you know, Marshall's trying to fight a whole Marshall, Mr. Love everybody, Mr. This guy, like the same dude, but I got drunk and it was not that long ago. And I'm trying to fight a whole honky tonk full of cowboys. Right. Oh, my friends got to pull me out. We get back to the cabin and he's yelling at me like, why, why, why do you get me in those situations? And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? It wasn't my fault. I, I didn't do it. They started it. And so I ran, I, I ran away from home, right? Drunk in my Jeep and buried in snow. And I buried it. I buried my Jeep in, um, in a ditch. And it was right then. It was not that long ago. And I was like, damn, I have a problem. Like I have a problem with drinking. I don't feel the need. Like I have to drink, but I, when I drink, like there's an anger inside of me and it's crazy how the universe works because about a week later, I met this girl um, who had just started her, which was a nightmare. We broke up already. It was not that long ago. The relationship only lasted two months. The last hundred days of my life have been absolutely insane. But um, <laughs> I met this girl and uh, she was like, yeah, I'm going sober. I, I, I've been sober for a week and we really hit it off. And I, we really hit it off. And I was like, well, obviously I'm not going to make you be sober by yourself. And I'm just going to be around drinking. And so, um, I decided I'm going to go sober and, uh, it was really scary because growing up in the Midwest, we do everything outside in the summer and in the sun with beer, uh, bags, funerals, church, uh, baby showers, like go, it doesn't matter. Right. 
Um, and so I just made the decision and it was cool. The relationship didn't work out. I learned a ton there, but it was a catalyst to get me through like that first 75 days when I realized how much my life changed. And I'm talking like 70 days, 50 days of sobriety, the way that I started showing up, the vibe, I feel like I'm vibing at a different level. And so it's not for everybody and I'm not vilifying alcohol or drugs, whatever, but what I'm saying is there is a certain type of people that aren't the Andy Frisellas or aren't the Ed Milets of the world who can't just take a hammer and build a house. Some of us are more emotionally damaged or differently emotionally damaged than others. And so I think for a long time, I judged my journey so hard, especially being in the entrepreneur community, because I'm watching people like the Andys and the Eds and the Coles and the Dans and all the people do their thing. And, and I'm like, well, I don't know what kind of trauma you guys came from, but I come from this very specific, like you're a very worthless piece of crap trauma where no matter how much success I had, I was just constantly told how worthless I was. So when I was in these big circles trying to make money and do all these things, I felt very inferior because I, I'm not the kind of guy that's ever going to stand up and scream at you to do something. When my coaches coached me like that, I responded. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's not me. And so for a long time, I, my life has just been me trying to do everything for everybody. And over the last hundred and some days, being sober is the very first time out here all alone in this cabin with barely inner internet. I had to sit there with my own shit in silence by myself and deal with it. And for the first time, I couldn't go anywhere and I couldn't turn to anything. And I, I cried and cried. And sometimes I was outside yelling and sometimes I was scared and sometimes I knew I was going to win. And sometimes I was like, what am I thinking? No, I'm not. And it was this insane roller coaster uh, the last hundred days, and especially navigating a new relationship that became an old relationship because she started seeing somebody else. Like it was so, like it was the perfect last scenario God set up for me to be like, okay, bro, like I'm really sorry to have to do this one to you, but bro, you have to take this final test, okay? Yeah. I feel like I've, I passed it with flying colors, and if it wasn't for my sobriety, um, I don't think I would be at the peace that I found in the last hundred days, and so. My recovery journey has been nuts, dude. But for anybody out there that, that feels like it's in their heart that they've been knowing, I was knowing for like four years, I needed to quit at least. And um, for anybody that's listening, that thinks that it's not possible, I'm telling you, dude, like recovery is possible for anybody. If like a dummy like me, a dummy farm boy like me can make it happen, I'm telling you, anybody can do it. Wow. <laughs> kind of sounds like a challenge, but it's kind of very, it, well, it's very inspiring. And uh, for you to be out there doing it on your own without going to a program, without, uh, you know, a lot of the tools that a lot of people need, uh, that's very inspiring because I don't think everybody has resources like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm very blessed because I went through the entrepreneur journey first, Yeah, you know, and so I felt, like I said, Everything I learned about business, I learned, I learned from bartending, but everything I learned about recovery, I just learned from business. And so, yeah, I'm very fortunate in this regard because I've always been a go-getter and action taker. I've always invested in myself, invested in my network. I realized when I was 27, I was like, wait, so you're telling me all I got to do is learn a bunch of skills that get paid real well and then get people to teach me to do it who've already done it. Be like, like, yeah, that's how it works. And I was like, okay, let's go. And so um, the recovery is the same. I did have a little bit of community because when I was dating my girlfriend, she was going to uh, classes three times a week and every Wednesday you could bring a friend. And so I started going to these classes um, and they, I got two things from the classes that changed my life. First thing was the mantra just for today. Mm -hmm. Just for today, I won't, or just for today, which was insanely powerful. Uh, and the second thing was is that you're not responsible for your first thought. Mm 
And so it's like, just in general of like how life works, it's like, okay, we're, we get so good at judging ourselves that we have these thoughts. And before we even ask, are they really our thoughts? Or does it come from some fear-based emotion? We just judge it. And then we assign it meaning. And then we label that meaning against ourselves. And I, and when I started to get sober, I started to realize they're like, the first thought's not yours. And I was like, damn, you know, like you guys should be on stage with me. But what happened was, um, I think that I wore heavy on that community really quick. I went for about four weeks in a row. And I think just the way that I talk and the way that I am, um, and, and the amount of investing I've done and the things, I mean, you know, I'm, I teach personal development and public speaking, like it. So I think that I, I was coming off a little too, um, domineering and not, and not on purpose. Like they would ask a question. I'd be like, well, you know, this is how it works. And I think that was just too much. So I did bow out after about five weeks. Um, and ultimately I think that was the downfall of my relationship as well. But, um, yeah, so I didn't do it alone at first. I had two massive key takeaways. And so that's why I was saying at the beginning of the show, like, I don't care who you are, what you do, how manly you are, or how badass of a bitch you are. Like, I'm telling you, it, there is absolutely zero sense to try to do it alone. I promise you, like, there's no badge of honor. Nobody's going to show up at your door and give you like, uh, put you on social media and give you a million followers because you did it all alone. So reach out, find a friend, go find a program, find a community, do some, start your own, do something. But if it wasn't for community in the beginning, I don't know if I could, I don't, I don't, I, I couldn't have done it because I would have done what I always do. I would have, I would have done the same thing. Would have gone, would have gone and done the same shit. Cause I, I was trying to pull myself out for four or five years, stand on stage, preaching about changing your life, fraud, addicted. Yeah. So you went through the imposter syndrome, emotions yeah. and feelings of that. Well, I manifested it, right? Because of my whole story was for always, like, I remember the very first time I, I changed my life in 2016. I bought a course from Ty Lopez, teaching me how to make, do social media marketing for local businesses. So here I am, I rush out, I make like 20 grand. I win these tickets from Cole Hatter to go to this event because of a video I made that he saw. And all of a sudden I'm standing in the hard rock on Saturday night in the glass room with the speakers, well, a very private little inner circle thing, billion billionaires, right? And uh, I'm thinking, okay, here I am, like little, I, oh, I bought a thousand dollar course on social media. What am I doing in this room? And so I, my whole entrepreneur career from the get-go was a, built around feeling like an imposter. But I, I mean, I knew that, but I didn't know that. And right. so for my life then to manifest and play out in a scenario where I was physically in physical reality, being an imposter, standing on stage preaching, meanwhile, doing bumps in the bathroom, like what I think, what you think about becomes your reality. And so it was like, when I look back over it now, I'm like, well, of course I went through that. And of course you manifested those type of relationships. And of course, making money felt hard then because you were so out of alignment and so insecure with myself. I felt like such a fraud. I didn't love myself. There was no self-care. And it's like growing up in a farm, they don't talk, you don't talk about self-love. Like, okay, bro, <laughs> like self-love, like give me a break, homie. Like, okay, go do your hippy dippy stuff, whatever. But, um, and so I just kind of feel like I'm on this mission now where like, I'm just, I, I've always been kind of enigmatic. So I'm kind of like on this mission to just really stir up the pot, you know, kind yeah. of be like, I don't know what you guys think addiction looks like or what sobriety looks like, but I'm about to flip it on its ear and have a lot of fun doing it. And so, yeah, man, it's been, it's been a very fortunate journey, but if it wasn't for my business background, I don't think it would have been such a smooth journey. I mean, like hundred days, like this has been, I mean, I've made this look so easy and it's not, it's not an easy journey. Um, but I'm very blessed to be able to process it. Yeah, of course. And yeah, I mean, dude, I think you sharing your story, like we all have our own story, you know, and, 
And it's they're all very similar, but they're all very different in so many ways, you know. And I think that's the beautiful part about sharing them is to show people like us. There's somebody out there just like you that doesn't think that they can do it. And this is a perfect opportunity for you to give back and share that. And I think it kind of leads up to the question I have for you is like listening to you tell your story and listening to you explain like your business background and personal development background. It's like you have a lot of awareness and you have a lot of data and all this information and you know what to do and you tell people what to do. But then like under all that, it's like, shit, my life's kind of falling apart too. Right. Creates that like imposter syndrome. And it's like, so my question for you is like this awareness that you had seems like such a pro. How did it show up as like a con in your life of like, you could probably tell somebody how to get out of your situation, but how do you do it yourself? In a heartbeat. Yeah. I think that's what, uh, it's an excellent question. And I think it said that I love what you said. Like we all have different stories, but they're all kind of the same. And it's true. It's, it's what I used to teach my speakers. I'm like, look, when you know, foundationally what, what the foundation, emo- foundational emotion is that your audience is feeling, then the details of the story don't matter because right. you find them where they're at emotionally. You share the story of the experience when you felt like that, and then you bring them up to your level. And so the one thing I want to say to all the listeners is it doesn't, if, if you're feeling called, like you may be like I was seven years ago when you're, you're maybe you're a bartender and somebody tells you, you should be a motivational speaker and you've never even thought about that, but you're like, Ooh, you can feel it. I'm telling you right now, whatever that God has put in your heart or in your, or in your head, the universe source, whatever you want to call it, whatever has been put there. If you are thinking about it, it's meant for you. It wasn't a mistake. And so the first thing is, is you got to understand that when you finally take control of your life, you can use that mess and turn it into your message. That pain becomes a purpose. And I was just, this is literally what my brand has been built on. And so I always tell people, I had this conversation yesterday and the day before and the fucking five years, every day before that, when somebody will be hitting me up on social media, they'll watch my content and they'll say, do you think I'm being too vulnerable? Do you think I I should not share this? And I'm like, listen, you got to understand that Jay-Z said it, uh, uh, revealing is healing, right? Like yeah. it's cathartic. And so to share your story and to tell these things, it will evolve. I've evolved as a storyteller, as a speaker, but if you're feeling called to share it, get it out because somebody does need to hear that you from last year, five years ago, 10 years ago needs to hear that. And so as far as like the awareness becoming a con, it comes to a point then where it's like, you get too good for your, or too smart for your own good. Yeah, You know, it's like you start to become so aware that you're taking a step back and another step back and another step back and another step back. And I'm playing the conscious observer while also sitting in my, my ego here. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on with the situation? But I would find myself getting stuck with indecision because you're trying to analyze all the data. But the reality, I mean, the reality of it is, is the data is infinite. You'll never be able to analyze enough data because there's it's infinite. It'll always yeah. come in. You will always be able to continue to analyze the data. And so for me, and again, this is I, the audience. I don't want to alienate the audience. I'm not get too far into it, but there's <laughs> a different energies that we have within our body and masculine and feminine energies a polarity, a duality to life, a polarity inside of us. And I realized that part, part of the masculine energy in me, which is decision, which is structure, which is uh, holding that space was a very wounded masculine. And so I found that I was very indecisive in life in general, because I was very scared of making decisions because I didn't want to be judged. And so part of me becoming aware or part of me finding that out was becoming aware that my awareness had become a con. And so again, it's just continuing to surround yourself with people or ideas that are going to allow you to expand and then getting still and silent and sitting with them. 
Uh, and for me, it's like I said, you know, I've always been very aware. That's how this whole thing started. And, uh, God just kind of put it in my heart one day. And, um, it, that it literally did. I was spinning for like 2020. I was spinning out of control, like just spinning because I had too much, too much information. I was trying to outsmart myself. So that's a really excellent question. So you, you mentioned, and, and you made several references. What is your spiritual belief? Like, is that, is that what's yeah. helped guide you and keep you <laughs> on the rails? Has it changed through the years? Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred, hundred percent. So it's interesting. Um, Man, I, I swear I'm not trying to like, uh, I swear I'm not trying to write a book. This is an interesting one. I literally just did a video on this yesterday. Um, so growing up in the Midwest, I was baptized Methodist, but my mom didn't really ever make us go to church. And she never said anything one way or the other about God or anything. We just went to church on Easter and Christmas because that's with grandma and that's what we do. And yeah. grandma with the church and all the things. And so um, I went through a phase when I was probably about 20 years old. Uh, I, I had just about self-destructed between 17, 18, and 19 drugs, alcohol, 20 years old. A friend takes me to church and, uh, I got, I felt this feeling, man. And I was like, oh, it's, and I'm not for anybody. I first off to answer the question, just plainly, I, I believe that everybody needs to find the God of their spirituality. This whole thing is a game. It's not real. It's a human universe. When you die, it all disappears. So it doesn't matter what you believe in. If the earth is round or flat. Like when you, <laughs> when the game goes out for you, it's over. The universe ceases to exist. It's literally science proves that it's, it's nothing but energy. Quantum physics proves that real physical reality is physical matter is not real. And if you do this, if you look, check out the double slit experiment, it shows that conscious awareness, like energy is infinite potential. It can only become physical matter only, and science has proven this in a study, it can only become physical matter if it's observed by a, a conscious awareness. So therefore, infinite possibilities exist everywhere. And it's like, what difference does it make? Whatever you have to tell yourself and believe in to show up as the most loving, caring, kind soul that can forward humanity in general, Like, I don't care what you believe in. So I'll just say that. Um, and I guess that kind of answers the question. For me, I, I thought God was real. Um, 2021 then i got real mad at him and like denounced them was like i'm an atheist and i was like well i'm agnostic and i just never cared like i didn't care like whatever i don't mm -hmm. care like i'm trying to make money and build a business like i'm not dying yet so like i don't whatever and so it was interesting because when i left california i was feeling i host retreats and so i just hosted a retreat in november 2019 at joshua tree Nice. And a bunch of business people. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Like these business people come out and I'm like, hey, yo, did you know there's more to life than this? And then they're like, holy shit, you know? And um, <laughs> so I'm at Joshua Tree and I get this like, I'm in this meditation at the very end and I get this download and I'm like, damn, I'm supposed to open a retreat center somewhere in the mountains, like for substance abuse. But I wasn't sober at the time. I just knew that I was supposed to call it the Dustin Hilton Memorial Retreat Center, like Dustin Hilton Retreat Center for my friend. I'm supposed to bring at youth uh, risk here or at risk youth here and recovering addicts here. This is two years ago, but I lived downtown San Diego. I was Mr. Travel the World, Mr. Speaker. And I was not an outdoors person. Like I was not an outdoors person. Like, I'm very bougie. And so um, <laughs> when, when, I, when I felt this in my heart to be like, go to Boise, Idaho and live in the mountains of Bill, I was like, what are you spirit? Are you drunk? Like what's going on? I didn't, I didn't talk like that back then, you know? Um, and uh, so that I moved to nature and that's where I found God. Like I had a, I took, yeah, I, I, I took, a, I uh, took psilocybin mushrooms for the very first time ever. And the only time ever, um, in the very beginning of 2019. And that kind of like rocked my world. And I was like, <laughs> oh, none of this is real. And the uh, only thing that matters is love. And so, um, that's what led me to nature. I, I, I ended up here in Montana 
And it's just something about when I, I'm not a still person. So to go out into nature without a phone and no connection in Montana anywhere, it's just like, there's nothing else. You're there with yourself. But if you shut up and you just watch and it's like, you see this pink flower and you're like, damn, nature made that thing pink. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You see the, the most beautiful sunset of a Glacier National Park that you've ever seen, or you're standing in the beach in you know, Sunset Cliff, San Diego, California, where the real estate runs out and it's the most gorgeous continental sunset you can see. And you're like, damn, like somebody makes this, like nature makes it something bigger than me. Like who makes me tired and who makes me wake up? Like if I took my phone and I was somehow able to stuff a bunch of eggs inside of it, and then my phone turned into an egg, I would freak out. But like we eat these things, we eat food and the, the egg becomes a cell that becomes my liver and nobody, nobody stops and thinks anything of it. We just take it all for granted and not to get too deep or too weird, but because I am a very aware person, I showed up at the entrepreneur party on top, like taking pictures of each other and talking about spending money. Like that's cool. But like, I think that I can help people different. And so, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just saying. And so like, I was like, okay, this is not it. And I ended up in nature and I was like, oh shit. Like there's, there's a good feeling peace and purpose to my life. And it has nothing for me personally and not judging anybody it has nothing to do with me being on social media. Like I thought it did. And not that it's good one way or the other, but now I can't just get disconnected enough. And so it's like my entire business model has changed. The entire way I live my life has changed. And now with sobriety coming into it, I just feel so much more connected to everything. And then going through this phase of like sobriety and then losing this girl who I thought I was going to marry. And we thought all this crazy stuff getting a lesson of attachment and detachment. It's like, I couldn't have learned that if I wasn't out here. If I wasn't out here, I couldn't have found that inside of me because it's like, I am the creator. We all are. It's where we are. We all like how you feel right now. Interviewing me is how I would feel interviewing you. Like we feel the same. You got shit to do. Yeah. Like you're thinking he's thick. Like, we are all the same person. And so when I started really thinking about that and I started really trying to observe that in my everyday, like, if I was to sit where you're at right now and close my eyes, like, can I picture what it's like to look at the screen you're looking at and see me with her next to you? Like, yeah, I can. It's been a practice, but it, it's made me very much detached. And so another long answer longer, like, <laughs> I just believe that you need to, you need to get to a point, go within. And it's so cliche to say, but it's true. Like go inside and you're going to find out that it's all up to you. And none of it's up to you at the same time. And there's this blissful duality and yin and yang to life, this pull in the opposite direction that if you can, like surfing, the energy moves to the water and the surfer rides the wave, the edge of chaos and certainty. And that's what life is. And so when you can learn to ride that wave, which would technically be flow state as often as possible, I find anything is possible, whether it's sobriety, building a million dollar business, generating a hundred million dollars for your clients, like whatever. And um, so now I'm on this mission to like master that and improve it so I can give it to people like me. You just did a uh, kind of like a meditation mindfulness retreat for several days, right? No, uh, mm -hmm. no, no electronics, no anything. And just yeah, be with, yeah. Were you with a group or did you do that alone? No, I do them with groups. So it's a sacred, I call it sacred warrior retreat. And nice. I believe, yeah, man, it's pretty dope. It's um, I, I feel this very primal call, uh, a very primal way to live when I'm here in Montana. It's a very healing. They say it's a vortex, one of the strongest vortexes in America next to like Sedona. But when you're here and even when my clients come out, I mean, they're business people. They're not like wearing drug rugs and funny Eddie Bauer hats <laughs> like me, right? Like they're like, they're like, they're like people, like real business people. But they come out here, like the one I just had, 
and I make them, I, I, it's a pattern interrupt. That's why I want to get them out here, but then they can just feel it. They, I mean, they all say, oh, I can feel it. I can feel it. And I just take them through some simple exercises. We go out in the nature. Like I, I, we do limitation shit. I make them jump in the freezing cold, 35 degree lake. And it's the most exhilarating thing that they do. And they can't believe it. And they feel alive. And what I show people is I, is I, I show people like how to close their eyes and to kind of look at this metaphorical house that they've built. And what I realized in 2019 is I took a look at this house that I built and I realized it was full of a bunch of shit I didn't even want. Cause I sat down and I wrote, what, what do you actually want out of life, Marshall? It was like four things, but I had 4,000 things in my house. And so what I do is I just teach these people how to get in touch with the sacred energy inside of you. Come out to this very primal nature feeling thing. I don't know what it is. I'm just a facilitator. I don't do anything. Yeah. Nature and God does everything. And I just think through exercises and I, I allowed them to find this sacred warrior inside of them. It's, there's a, I don't know if you guys have heard this story. It's a Japanese story. It says um, it's about this boy who went to learn how to fight from this warrior. And the boy uh, is working in the garden and he asks his master, how, how can you train for war but talk of peace. How do you reconcile that? And the master says to the boy, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And when I think about life like that, that's what I think about the sacred warrior within us. It's like, it's, it's understanding how to prepare your mind and your body for war while seeking peace and purpose in every moment. And how can you balance the two? And so what people real, what I show people out here through like breath work and cold therapy and just meditation, like literally free, simple stuff, they go back and they're like, my whole world has changed and they make more money or they have better sex or they're better parents or whatever. But I'm like, yo, if you just slow down and get rid of all the shit that doesn't actually matter in your life, you get clear on your purpose and you get in touch with this, this energy inside of you, everything changes. And they're like, okay, we'll see. And then they leave and they're like, oh my God, like, you know, and it's the most rewarding thing in the world. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how that whole thing's worked out. Angie, thanks for asking. Yeah. yeah, dude, that's an amazing response. And it's, it's funny because your answers are so long-winded that I have so many like thoughts about <laughs> them. But by the time you get done, I'm like, oh man, like I don't even remember what any of them were because I'm just like <laughs> present listening to your story. But I think yeah, the one, man. And, and that's awesome. I love that because I need to, I'm listening. I don't want to have like these uh, <laughs> like responses ready, you know? Right. So. We can right. tell you're a speaker because you know we're we're you're speaking and we're just listening. It's like yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. Which a side note: if anybody does a bunch of live videos that's listening to this, if people aren't engaging with your stuff, it could just mean that uh, you're such a good storyteller that they're encapsulated. So yeah, that always makes me think of that. That's a good way to reframe it. It's I like, like that. Dude, people aren't responding because they're just listening. <laughs> yeah, they're listening. They're listening, bro. Just keep going, man. You're doing right. It. So, dude, one of the things that I was like hearing and understanding, and you know, let me know if this is wrong, but it sounds like. So the thing that kept coming up for me when you said like ego, right? Like it sounded like you were this business guy and you had all everything you wanted, right? And it's like everything you thought the ego wanted, everything you thought yeah. everyone thinks yeah. you should have to be successful, right? Like the ego right. thinks if I have these things, then I'm important or whatever. And then you right. move to Montana, you move to the mountains and you get connected with essentially what is really important to us as human beings, right? Like the simple stuff, the nature, yeah. the present, the love, whatever it may be, just the simpler things. So I guess like, you know, the, what I, what I'm trying to like language is like, then you take these guys on these retreats to show them yeah. like your, your understanding of like how 
important yeah. that we thought that was and now how important yeah. all this really is. And then 100%. so it's almost like your business is yeah. showing people how unimportant business is and how important 100%. this really is. So it's like the dichotomy of like business 100%. and living, business and living. Yeah. And where do yeah. you find that like warrior gardener piece right. in between both well, of those ideas? I think that's an excellent question. And uh, first off, I just want to say is I love money. Like there's no <laughs> impact without income. Like I love True. me some money and I live close enough to an airport that I can bebop out here anytime. I am still bougie. I just, because <laughs> I dress like a homeless person, uh, I, I am still very bougie off. and I still like to do, yeah, I still like to do very fan, uh, nice things. I always have. And so there's still lots of travel in my life. It's just that I highlight different things. Like if you go walk back and look at my content the last hundred days, you're going to see very few videos of me celebrating my sobriety. And you're going to see most of the videos of me breaking down and bawling or sharing with you going through my breakup because I just feel this different. Like I want to tell the story different. And some people like my mentors who a lot of them are in Arte, um, you know, they've kind of turned away from the, my energy lately because it's like, you know, it, it's a very business for, forward kind of community. And to show that vulnerability means that I'm not focused on business. It means that um, you're weak and that you need to get back on track and, and give your audience some clarity. And I, as a matter of fact, I had a lot of speakers drop out of my event um, because they just felt very disconnected from what the event became. And so I feel this calling now to that, like that, like that's the whole thing about breaking the stigma where I'm like, dude, just, just because I live in my, and I'm not saying you, so, um, so just because I live in Montana doesn't mean I can't have nice and fancy things. Just because I cry on video doesn't mean that I'm crazy. Like I'm crazy. When my clients who did invest to come out to the mastermind uh, after watching me for a hundred days and probably being like, oh my God, like I hope, I hope I didn't waste my money. They come out and I rock their world. And they're like, oh damn, like this dude knows what's up. And so, you know, to answer that question about the, the back and forth, it's, that's the same thing I teach my people. And so again, I don't try to be long-winded, but it, to understand the context of what we're really playing with here, and I'm not smart enough to explain this in depth, so you can do the research yourself if you want, but there's this thing called string theory, and string theory basically explains what the universe is made of. Mm -hmm. And there's a doctor named James Gates, and Dr. Gates did this test where he found he was he was looking at string theory and he found a code inside of the way that it's done. And this code that he found in the fabric of the universe, when they looked at the very depths with the furthest out of the universe, they literally found a, a numeric code series of ones and zeros that when you plug it into a computer, it's the exact same code that renders a 404 not found page. So essentially it could be said that in the fucking makeup of the fabric of the universe, there, if you go too far out, it doesn't even render. And so when you start to think about all this stuff, again, not to be all crazy, but it's like, if, what if this is a video game? Like, what if this is the most elaborate VR video game of all time? Even Elon Musk says, even if we made a 1% or half percent increase over the next 10,000 years to what VR is right now today, in 10,000 years, it would be almost inseparable from human reality. And so again, not to get too far off track, but it's like, in the end, what does this matter? Because we're going to die. And what yeah. if this really was a game? What if this was a game? And so the way that I teach my clients, the way that I look at it, I'm like, look, why don't you plug into this very primal stuff? Did you know that you can get free radicals? Uh, you can connect to the ground, put your bare feet on the ground and it can actually heal you. Did you know that? Did, they, did you know that just breath work can heal you? No, because they don't teach you that in school. And so I'm like, come get your shit right. I'll show you how to hack your avatar through primal hacking. And then when you want to plug into the matrix, plug in. And when you want to unplug, 
plug out. And so in Montana, that's literally what I'm here to do. It's like, I'm trying to find hundred acres of land. I'm going to build this retreat center. It's going to be hundred percent self-sustaining. We're going to hunt our own food. We're going to make our, have our own water, do our own electricity, grow our own shit. Cause I just, when 2020 hit and I was, I went to my mom's to make sure she was cool. She lives in an apartment in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. I'm like, well, the food truck stopped coming and there was no water and food in the stores and everything was chaotic. Not to saying that it will be at all, not, or do I think it's going to be, but if it was, I'm like, what, how could I actually help my family? I don't have anything. And so I came here to Montana and I was like, I'm going to build this. I'm going to, I'm going to help people. And then when I want to go to like Maldives, like I'm going to here in like a couple months, like I can do that. Or when I want to go to the moon palace in Cancun or whatever, go to D- Dubai, like I can do that because I've learned how to have access to the entire game through yeah. making money, through developing myself, through being able to close my eyes and visualize and meditate and understanding how the universal laws work. And so it's very weird. Um, if I had listened to myself four years ago and I, I was listening to this interview now, I would be like, okay, bro, like, go smoke another one and go sit with the trees, homie. But I'm telling you, man, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the hack to life. It's a secret. Thoughts become things. And if you can just learn how to tune your body, tune your, your, your character, your avatar, um, the whole game opens up and it's uh, been pretty special. That's um, one thing that the pandemic did for me is, uh, you know, I, I decided to do 75 hard and one of the things was working out outside. And when I first started going outside, I would listen to a podcast. I've, you know, I wanted to do lots of things. And then I started just being with nature and it literally yeah. changed my <gasps> life. I mean, we live right next to being in Northern California. We have the national forest, Redwood forest, right in our backyard. I have the beach so like awesome. a mile from my house. And I Ugh. really started connecting with nature <laughs> and that helped me meditate. Whereas before yeah. just sitting in my room trying to meditate, I, I, I got yeah. no traction. I could not do it. It was Same. not for me. I was like, this, Same. this is great for other people, but I can't do it. But then when I really got into nature, it changed everything. Yeah. So I totally it's understand what you're saying. It is the hack of all hacks. It is because it gives you, this is the thing. I, this is how I always start my clients out. I'm like, tell me the one point, like if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? And they'll be like, Mal, let's say they'll go Maldives, right? Or Mykonos or something. They want to go to Greece. I'm like, cool. Where would you stay? They're like, oh, I would stay in a villa that looks like this. I'm like, close your eyes. Can you see the, the ocean from there? And they're like, yeah, I can see it. I'm like, are you by a pool? And they're like, yeah, I'm by a pool. And who are you with? And what are you drinking? What are you eating? Oh, I'm eating this. I'm drinking this. And I'm with, I'm with old girl and then in the sunset and, and the music's playing and I'm going, oh man. And how do you feel in that moment? And they go, oh man, I just feel so like, so peaceful and just fulfilled and, and just bliss. And I'm like, yeah, because you're not actually chasing the trip to Mykonos. You're not actually chasing the girl or the music or the food. What you're actually chasing is that feeling and when you can learn to make that feeling anything like dude you know it's understanding in our life it's like what are these things that we love that bring us peace and joy and how can we feel that as often as possible because that's when these things start to manifest in our life and by simply going out into nature people feel this feeling they've never felt and i'm like yeah because that's the actual feeling that you're after all the money and the things and and the stuff like they're really good and they are important because they change lives they save lives but the reality of it is, is there's no stage big enough, enough podcast downloads, enough money to put in your bank account, enough, like you can't live in six houses at once. Mm-hmm. You can't drive six cars at once, even if they're all Lambos, like cool. But what people really want is that feeling. And so um, it's interesting, the entrepreneurial community is interesting to me because I, I know what it's like to get a lot of validation through performance and then to actually ha- create the belief 
And again, it's not good or bad. This is something I'm still working through and trying to figure out for myself. But um, I find a lot of entrepreneurs don't actually want the big business. They just want to feel peace and joy. And then, yeah. they, and then they use their skills to then go out and, and to work for more purpose, which actually then makes more money and more impact. So crazy journey up is down and down is up. And when you're cool, living in the middle, uh, life gets pretty awesome. <laughs> no, I love that dude. And I love I like, uh, I love your perspective on things, especially like kind of like the pushing back on, on the stigma and not just recovery, but in business and you know, like how ballsy is it to say like entrepreneurs, like you guys just want to hug, you know, like that's why you're doing this. Okay. You're just doing yeah, this 100%. to be loved and validated and hugged, man. So I like the Bro, pushback. I got, I got a tattoo on my face. Okay. Yeah. I just did this like <laughs> nine, that nine, that long ago. And I did it for a girl, but oh. you know, and yeah, but, the, but at the end of the day, people go, oh, you have a tattoo on your face. And I was like, you know, and I, and it's, it's cool though, because I'm like, like I'm going to get way more tatted up and it won't look like just this lone thing all by itself. But the point being is that it was interesting for me to do that because again, breaking the stigma, it's like, oh, you're a motivational speaker or you're this or that. You can't have a tattoo on your face. But at the same time, I'm like, what are you so damn worried about? Be like, oh, it's on your face. It's on your face forever. I'm like, so what? Just make a decision in life and go. And so it was a, it's a very cool that, you know, when you think about what you're saying, because it's just like, you know what? Sometimes you're gonna make the right decision. Sometimes you're gonna make the wrong one, but it's life and you're gonna die at the end of it anyways. So go be playful, go have fun, go live on purpose. And when you start to do that, you're, you're going to find these, these things that make you want to be sober. You're going to find these things that make you want to go to recovery because you feel better and you realize that you don't have to hide from anything anymore. But it all started, like I said, this whole thing. Like I've been on the precipice of this, everything we've talked about for the last hour or whatever, forever. And the only thing I'm convinced that made it happen was my sobriety. If I hadn't gotten sober and I hadn't gone into recovery, my being never would have been able to figure it out because I was stuck in a loop, feel the pressure, do the drinking, have the down slope for the next three to four days. I'm so worthless. This is never going to work out. I knew it was right. Oh, four days later, I can, I can crush it, get three days in. And I'm like, Oh no, I can't. And then same cycle. And so if I hadn't gotten sober, I literally, everything we just talked about came clear in the last hundred days, it's all been there, but I didn't understand how to use it. And so at the time of the recording this podcast, I wish, I wish I had more tangible physical proof to, to show this, but for anybody that's listening, whenever you're listening, keep following Keep yeah, following course, because uh, I'm going to prove this. Yeah, no, and I think people can hear that. Like, it's hard to BS what you're saying, you know. It's it's hard to just, like, pretend to have the experience you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. So what gets me excited and a lot of things, you know, I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. Like, that's been my forte for the last seven years. And I hear the, the, the wins, the takeaways, the clarity, the consistency mm. that comes from mm. a month, two months, three months of sobriety and kind of like what you're saying of, you know, these past a hundred days have, things have become so clear. Things have become so consistent. I've become so focused or like, um, tunnel vision on what I want. And yeah. my favorite question to ask is like, imagine 200 days. Imagine yeah. 300 days, you know, imagine one yeah. year, five years, seven years. And, and that's the experience I like to speak about too, is seven years later, it just gets better. It just gets more clear. It just becomes more so consistent. Awesome. <laughs> and so I love awesome. that. And I can only, I can only associate that to being sober. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because at the age of 36, I was so scared of being sober. Right. I've, I, I've been, I've drank my whole life, but you know, what's interesting is that in this cool way, 
I'm getting to experience every single thing again for the first time. Yeah. Like, oh my God, what's it going to be like to go to a concert without drinking? Like, I'm going to get to do that for the first time. Uh, you know, recently I, I've gotten to travel for the first, what's it like to go to a hotel? You know what it's like when you go to a hotel, you show up and it's like, oh, let me grab a drink. Everybody does it. It's not like you're there to get blasted, but it's just like, what's it going to be like when I show up and don't grab the drink? And so it's been a really cool thing for anybody that's, you know, at a hundred days or in the start, like, you know, that's been one uh, reframe that's helped me is like, I get to learn, I get to, I get to learn how to do all these things again. And the fact that I'm sober and I would usually drink because of the social anxiety of a weird situation. Now I get to fumble through that with laughter and just take, yeah. like, not take myself so serious and, and reframe it like that. Don't be scared of it. Look at it. Like, yeah, I'm like a little newborn, like a little teenager. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going to go to this concert and see how to do it, you know, and then to give up the judgment on yourself about, about that. And to just lean into it, like you said, because there's going to be a day when it's 200, 300, 400 days. And it's like, damn, I didn't think I could make it four days. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that, uh, it's cool to be able to look back. I'm excited. How long have you been sober? Seven years. Seven years, man. That's so dope. Congratulations, bro. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's I got so sober cool. young, 21. I got sober before wow. I could even go to a bar. So what made there... you get sober? Say that again. What, why did you get sober? Well, my life was, uh, I mean, just kind of as you hear it in like the rooms of AA, it was unmanageable, dude. It was garbage. It sucked. Yeah. I hated myself. I hated everything I was doing. Uh, I started using heroin at 16 in high school. So Damn. just barely graduated high school and moved up to Utah to get away from the drugs. Kind of like you said with Montana, right? A place you would think oh, there's yeah. not a lot of drugs. It took about yeah. a year to find what I, you know, I, I basically was kind of sober for a year just out of like necessity i didn't know where to get drugs uh, i wanted them uh, i didn't know where to right. find them right. so once i found you know heroin and coke and xanax in utah my life just started falling apart i went right back to how things were when you know i was growing living up uh living in arizona and right. you know i wasn't in college i wasn't doing doing anything i kind of graduated high school just barely moved to Utah, got back into drugs, and I just wasn't doing anything. There was no purpose. There was no direction. Just get get high, feel better, get high, yeah. feel better. And that was like the only tool that I had. I stopped working right. out. I stopped playing sports and just did that, man, and went to rehab and would stay sober for a couple months and fall back into it. And Essentially, when I got sober, it was like what you were saying. I had to relearn how to do everything again. Right. I didn't know how to have a conversation. I didn't know how to oh. express a feeling. I didn't know how to Dude. work a job. I didn't know how to work, pay taxes, make my bed, yeah. do my laundry. Like, I just got high to feel good. That was the only thing I knew how to do. Yeah, And I got really good at it. <laughs> Let me ask you this, dude, and both of you guys, I mean, and I, I, you know, not to be too much information, but it's curious because we're talking about learning to do things. I, for me, in the last relationship I was in, it was like the first sober sex I'd, I'd had yeah. maybe, I don't know, like, because even when you're in a relationship, I, I was in a lot of like really toxic relationships. And it, like the only time we were ever really affectionate is when we like would go out and have a drink. Of course. And it doesn't mean we'd be like hammered. And so that was something that was really uh, I think that really highlighted this kind of wounded insecurity, like this masculine inside of me, because like to have sex sober, I can't really explain it, but it was like almost like this lack of like, um, which has never been a problem or a worry before. 
but almost like this lack of being enough. Right. And so I don't know if anybody else is going through that or if you dealt with that, but it was, did you experience anything like having sober sex for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a big thing that comes up for a lot of people because with drugs and alcohol, there is like that lust and that affection or, you know, I take it all the way back to where experimenting sexually started and it was drunk at parties, you know, or whatever it may be. So, and it never, yeah. So where it started was like, and then to where it ended getting sober was brand new. Fortunately for me, I, I didn't get into a relationship until like 18 months sober. So I was oh, able yeah. to like feel very comfortable feel with, with the person yeah. and which was not people's, uh, that's not generally the story. So I guess to answer yeah. your question, it's, it's a, it's a big thing because it's yeah with, with sex, wish, with relationships are like the strongest emotions, you know, lust and, envy and desire and jealousy. So 100%. I think to answer the question even further, to be like you a little bit, to take it even further, we struggle with our emotions. That's what we struggle with the most. We want to run from all of them. So then we get sober and we get dealt sex, lust, jealousy, envy, this, that, being wanted, being loved. Those are like the top tier difficult emotions to deal with. And we just all agreed that we are people that struggle with emotions. (laughs) <laughs> so it just becomes this like very difficult energy to work with and yeah. it it can yeah. be sloppy and it could be hard and I absolutely experienced what you were talking about. Well, and I think also you, you're Angie? dealing yeah. with someone else's emotions and feelings yeah. and insecurities as well. So two for especially one. when you have two newly sober people or two people sober who aren't used to this, now you got a yeah. whole mess of emotions and energies and insecurities yeah. flying Codependency. Around. So, you know, it's not like <laughs> oh, being with bro. yourself and learning to be by yourself. Now you got to learn how to 100%. be by yourself in the most vulnerable situation yeah. uh, sober. Yeah. It's not It's not easy. <laughs> it's so crazy. I mean, first thing they tell you in your sober journey is that don't get in a relationship. It's the first thing that her and I did. Yeah. And uh, But it was cool, though, because if I hadn't gone through that, it's what you said, codependency. I wouldn't have realized that. I'm not just an addict to drugs and alcohol. I'm addicted to codependency. I I wouldn't have under, I wouldn't have understood like my attachment issues and how I react to things I'm attached to when I feel insecure. And so, um, yeah, you're right though. It it was very two people going through it. It's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, It's like two people navigating something they've never navigated before. So it's, it's hard to weigh on, weigh in on specifically, but generally it's two people walking in the dark, you know, <laughs> just trying not to 100%. bump into shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry for anybody listening. If you guys are listening you're, and you just are newly sober and just got in a relationship, I'm rooting for you. We're rooting for you. You know, I would I'm rooting I, for you. <laughs> yeah. We're rooting for you. And the only thing I would say is I'm rooting for you. if mom. you're falling into the, you. if you love me, then I can love me we should put some attention on that. If you need someone to love you so you can love yourself, if you need someone to make you feel better so that you can feel better, it's something to explore. It's something to get curious about, something definitely to have an att- some attention on because that can be just as toxic as drugs. If I use drugs, I feel good. If this girl loves me, then I love me. You know, So it's yes. it's kind of very similar. It has a lot of the same roots, which can be just as... Uh, unplentiful if that's a word (laughs) and i I would also just add you know we've been doing this long time i've been doing this a really long time and i would say how long uh long 27 years 
Yeah. Long, long. No way. Long, oh my long God, time. that's so I've been awesome. A long time. Yeah. But um, I will say like out of all those years of experience, I would say 80% of the time, the reason for a relapse is because of this right yeah. here. And so, and I think that's why AA has the premise of like wait a year. Uh, we don't put a, a rule on it, but definitely get your foundation strong before you oh, put yourself percent. through that. And before you find somebody who's in their emphasis stages. Like yeah. most of you get solid before you decide to bump around in the dark as yeah. Dallas would say. Bump around because in the dark. Bump around in the dark. Because that's the main cause of relapse and, and you don't want that. <laughs> I I didn't think there was any chance of me relapsing, but about like, like when there was a chance that I, I the one day that was like 10 days after my breakup when I was like, this I just want to go to the bar and get just blacked out, like blacked out. And by, but so I can imagine that I can't, I, I, I feel bad. I, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe just stay out of a relationship for now. Take AA advice. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like one of those things where does it yeah. work sometimes for sure? Does it not work a lot of the times? Absolutely. The, yeah. the point I like to speak to the most is like, the recovery journey, the sobriety journey, the self-improvement journey, it, it, it needs all your attention. Yeah, you know, like does. for you to blossom, it needs your full attention. It needs your full presence. It needs your full right. time. It's a full-time job. And as soon as right. you start delegating that time and that energy to a new relationship, you think new relationship, you're texting all the time. You go to the movies, going to dinner, you're going to the beach, oh, you're not sleeping as much. You're yeah, the blowing. butterflies are going, yeah. you're feeling good, the emotions, the hormones, everything's just going right. Yeah, exactly. So if, if it's I it's a tricky emotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, exactly. So if I ha if I compromised all of that on my yeah. self betterment journey, I wouldn't have gotten to the place that I got to because I put all my energy on me. So it's almost like right. Stay out of a relationship selfishly so I, that the relationship with yourself can be super legit. Yeah. And people like 100%. that response a lot more than like, don't have sex sober. Dude, that's a fact, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is it's just a natural inclination. You take away the drugs, you take away the alcohol. The first thing that Find happens that is you want to fill that void with. You know, it's so uh, crazy. sex, music, you know, a validation, acknowledgement, make me feel good, make me feel good about myself when I'm like insecure. And so it's just a natural inclination to want to fill that void. And so, you know, learning to, like you said, sit yeah. with it and uh, re-experience things without that, that like yeah. side, side attraction, whatever yeah. it is, without being distracted by that is where you're going to build a solid foundation for sure. I wasn't sober when I met her though. I wasn't, I, she was, she's actually a bartender and I met her at the bar and she's like, Oh, I'm sober. And she actually served me my last beer. And so Damn. it was one of those things. Yeah. It's a weird, it was a weird thing. And I knew better, but, um, yeah, everything, everything in life happens for a reason. Everything in life happens for a reason. So, Hey, whatever I would have gotten takes, sober if it wasn't for her. 100%. Whatever it takes, it got you to where you're at today. So, you know, like you said, God or the universe puts things in our yeah. path to set us where we need to go. And she was that person for I I feel like God's been trying to tell me this for a long time. This girl's name is the same name as my mother's name. And it's spelled the exact same way, which is very not common. And so it was a very weird thing to meet a, a woman that name. And then um, 
I was like, at the end of this whole journey, the hundred days, I was like, it made me laugh because I was like, okay, the universe does have a sense of humor. They're like, okay, bro, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna pay attention, we're gonna give you this chick who's like your mom, make you freaking shape up and pay attention for a second, and then they'll be gone. And you're gonna meet her at the bar, and she's gonna serve you your last drink. This bartender's gonna encourage you to get sober. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. I told my mom like a year before. I was like, I feel because I was so I was single and abstinent for a year and a half. And then I met this girl and I told my mom like eight months before, I was like, I feel like just one of these days I'm going to walk into a bar and she's going to be there and she's going to drive this big black pickup truck and she's going to be all tatted up and we're just <laughs> going to hit it off like instantly. And literally that's how it happened. Like it happened exactly how I called it, which was insane. That's why I was like, I wasn't looking for a relationship and I knew better. We, she was 40. So it was like, wasn't like we both were like, oh my God, let's be all lacking. She had two kids that are like, you know, and it just kind of one of those things that happened. And yeah. it happened so quick and we, we tried to be so careful about it. But again, it's like, I'm telling you, man, if whatever, whatever you're going through right now, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a religious dude, but whatever you're going through right now, I'm telling you, it's just God preparing you for the blessings that are on your way. Because I didn't know that I, I thought I was super sad when it, when it all broke up, it's a couple, you know, it's been a month later now. And I'm like, oh my God, that is exactly what needed to happen for me to learn these final lessons, to be able to accept myself and to love myself and to kind of root down in these things. And so I feel like this, not to be cliche, but new, new, like this born again person. And, um, which has nothing to do with the Bible or religion, but I see now where the story might come from feeling born again, feeling like revived, um, kind of like being saved in your own conscious awareness, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And I think just to speak to that, I celebrate my sobriety birthday harder than my normal birthday. Cause I feel the exact same way. Like, September seventh, I was born again, dude. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that was a thing. That's exciting. It's a thing, yeah. It's like a big thing, yeah. It's it's like a yeah. Your anniversary, they call uh, like yeah, NAA. They call your sobriety birthday your birthday, and then the day you were actually born is like your belly button birthday. No kidding. So it's like almost like a step down. Like yeah, you were born, dude, but like you were born again when you got sober. Like you that's actually dope. started living again on that day. <laughs> Man, I thought it was just birthdays and half birthdays, but I didn't even think about a sobriety birthday. That's really exciting because I like to have a good time. So yeah. what's up, February 2nd? <laughs> you don't need enough. You don't need an excuse to celebrate. You're like, another <laughs> no, one. There point. we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Can I just highlight, I just, and then this, I'm just going to back it up to something we were talking about a while ago, but I yeah. think it's super yeah. beneficial for our listeners. You framed going the concerts, going this, I get to do these things. And I think that is such a key part for sobriety because I think a lot of people say, you know, I can't go to a bar. I can't go to a concert. No, that was me. I was scratching my face. What? I can't, I can't (laughs) do these things or I can't, I have to do this. And I think even just that positive reframing of I get to do all these things sober is very cool. I think that just puts everything in such a beautiful light where it doesn't make getting sober such a bad thing. It makes it a new and exciting thing. 100%. And who's decided if it's bad or good? It's like, that's so subjective, you know, mm-hmm. and we, and not saying that you say that, but just people in general, it's like, oh, good or bad, better or worse, right or wrong. Like, according to who? That there's 7.6 billion people in the world and they all have a different opinion. And so what I've found is like, when I start to let go of that, let go of assigning so much meaning to everything, everything. So I can use this as catalyst to judge myself. Like speaking of what you're saying, it's like then reframe it, which I appreciate you. Thank you for, you know, seeing that. But it's like, um, 
you know what? People have bad days. Like you want to know people always have bad days because they wake up with a bad attitude. Mm. And I know it sounds so simple, but the things that are simple to do are simple not to do. And so I know people, oh, that's easy for you to say like, you know, blah, blah, Marshall, you're just living the life. Like, but I, I wasn't like, I was the kid lying dead on the floor. I was in debt. I was arrested. I was in jail. I have been homeless number of times. I have been stabbed. I have done all these crazy things. Like I have been there and I know I wish that there was a big sexy way for me to say, Hey, guess what guys? Like it's, Saying that it's all about positive attitude is bullshit because it's not all about positive attitude, but it starts with belief. And unless you desire to have a better feeling, you never will. And so I appreciate that, Angie, and I hope that people that can take away from that is understand, look, it just comes down to decision. If your life sucks because you struggle with your addiction or your sobriety, like it's going to keep sucking the longer you keep making the same decision. So it's going to take work. And that's why most people don't do it is because they don't do the work and the work means, oh, hey, I'm having a shitty feeling. Let me reframe that and not be, not worry about your friends making fun of you. Oh, you're doing that positive self-talk talk thing because maybe they're not the real crew. And it's right. crazy. You guys know specifically, it's like when you start to change your life, everybody that you knew, your boys, your girls, your family, most of them are going to feel so challenged. It's going to be a reflection of, of themselves that they don't feel capable or enough that they're going to come against you. And so that's the thing that keeps most people stuck, which is why community is so important because I say, okay, wake up in the morning and tell yourself, right? I've got post notes in my car right here and my truck. I got them posted here. If you guys see my walls, they're all over the place because I have these ideas and I want to reframe and continue to, to redo these things. And so if you guys find yourself getting out of bed, all pissed off in the morning saying, man, the sobriety thing's hard. I got to go to this meeting. It's like Angie said, write it on the mirror, put it all over your house. I get to do this thing and then catch yourself. The awareness we talked about in the beginning of the show, the awareness to go, does that story serve the feeling that this, the, the real story that I want to feel, which is I want to feel better. Does me feeling like crap that I have to go to this meeting make me any closer to how I actually want to feel? And if the answer is no, then figure out what story you have to tell yourself to get the feeling you actually want. And then every time you find yourself with the stinking thinking and the bad story, go, nope, I know that's not true. This is the one I'm going to and continue to do that work. That's the work. People think it's like this big, like, oh, I got to do it. Like, no, it's, that's all it is. And then to continue to surround yourself with the people who reinforce what you want to become, because like we just talked about in the beginning of the show, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to pull you down. If, I mean, you know, that's the whole point of being in the mastermind is to be around like-minded people or being in AA meetings. And so it's a choice. And I think that if more people can be around people like us and with this show, especially it's like, you get to choose the feeling you want to feel. So choose a good one, man. Like I've been pissed off and mad my whole life and I'm just tired of being pissed off and mad all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like what you said. Yeah. Like, and, and if you don't feel that way, fake it till you make it, you know, it's like, just push yeah. it aside and say, that's just like, not okay. I'm not going to start my day feeling pissed and, and resentful that I'm yeah. sober and missing out. I'm going to reframe it and say, this is a great day. I'm glad to be alive. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing of this is too, I always say faith it until you make it right. Like faith it until you make it like you got to just, you just got to let go of the shit doesn't matter. And you got to, you got to just, if you've been trying to control everything your whole life, it's like, maybe it's time to try something different. So maybe yeah. just try to yeah. let go and to have a little faith and to understand you don't need to know the whole plan and that you can't get it wrong. And you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And your journey is not like anybody else's. And I think that when you can get that mind frame and you can fake it or faith it till you make it, where you're just like, you're living into this future is what it really is. That's so true. And I think the ironic part for me is the, the way this podcast started is almost 
now getting closer to the way that it's ending. And I, what I mean by that is, Marshall, you said in the beginning one of your biggest takeaways was that you're not responsible for your first thought, right? And I really resonated with that because in I remember being in detox at Elevate and the mantra running through my head was first thought wrong, first thoughts wrong, first thoughts wrong. And even if it wasn't, it still allowed me the space to see another thought. And me right. being able to see another thought changed my whole life. Yes. Just getting 100%. to that second thought, Permission. something new. So it's ironic that that was this huge thing for you. And it was this huge thing for me Yeah, and working with clients for so long. It's like just learning the idea that maybe what you think means nothing and everything all at the same time can be so illuminating. It could change your whole life. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's, it's the really thing. hard. People... It's really hard. I know it's like so much knowledge and yeah, well, it's just like, when do ideas stop though? And where do they even come from? You know, like, where do, they, where do ideas even come from? Nobody even knows. So it's like, right. we're just so conditioned in society to judge ourselves and to say that we're not good enough. It's like, oh, I have a thought. Oh, that's mine. And then you just close it off and know the thoughts come in. Like, just sit with it, right? I'm big on journaling. So I tell people, write your thoughts down. And I'm sure you guys do a lot of the same stuff too. Mm -hmm. But it's like, write it down and then I'll set it aside and I'll come back into it in the morning. And I'm like, if I still really feel like that, then I'll, I'll explore it. But chances are, it's just like some, like throwing firecrackers into a fire pit and they just randomly go off. You know, it's like, it doesn't mean shit. Like just observe it and check it out and see how it feels. Try it on. If it, if it reinforces your vision, then good. And if it doesn't, then it has no use in your reality. So get rid of it. Dude, absolutely. Yeah. And that's just, that's like if that's like the biggest takeaway, I think, for recovery, for sobriety, for life, for business, for everybody. Everybody struggles with their thoughts. Every human on planet Earth struggles with that. And we're all every single one of we're them. all on the same journey, you know. I think um as we're kind of wrapping wrapping up or winding down, however you want to look at that, we didn't really touch on fitness. And I was curious to see how fitness has played a role in maybe in your life yeah. or in your like oh. newfound sobriety fitness changed my life bro there we go i was i um so i was an athlete in uh, high school i had a couple of division two offers to play football pretty pretty natural but never a hard worker in the weight room or nothing like that gotcha. just showed up and did my thing i worked on a farm so i never was really into fitness and then i was 27 and my friend had just died and i found myself working for $10 an hour at a hotel resort in San Diego, California, Hotel Dell. And uh, I was working with a bunch oh, of 17 yeah. year old kids and I was 27. And I'm like, what in the hell am I doing here? How did you end up here? And then this, this uh, new manager started shortly after that. And she was a bombshell. I mean, I, I'll never forget the first day I saw her. You started showing was up on time. I was in love, dude. And I, and she was so hard on me. She was so hard on me. And I kept thinking to myself, every time she walked away, I was like, I wonder what kind of guy gets, and this is literally how I learned goal setting. This is how my whole life changed was this moment. I was like, I wonder how a guy, I wonder what kind of guy gets to date a type of girl like that. And then I was at the Dell and I got access to the gym for free. And I was riding the bus at the time. because I didn't have a car. I was so broke. And so I would ride an hour and a half out to work, hour and a half back. And I, 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 I was like, I wonder what the gym would be like. And so I decided to start going to the gym. And for the first, it was like 30 days in and I look in the mirror and my body is like completely changed. And it was the first time in my life that I found out what happens if you stick to a plan, right? And, and you follow it consistently. Like, what is it like? And I was like, oh shit, I wonder what else in my life I can 
can use this for. And so fitness has always been paramount in my life because it is what it's what allowed me to open my mind further to understand that you can become more. I needed that physical evidence for me to do it. And so with my mental health and addiction or my mental illness, it's just like, um, you know, it's like, um, the one thing that I could always fall back on for my meditation, finding meditation was working out. But in the beginning, I didn't know. And I can look back very clearly now and realize it was just validation and ego because I'm like a short guy and all these things. And so I was able to start to find solace in the fact that, well, I can kick your ass. I may be broken, a loser and a five-time college <laughs> dropout and a drunk, but I can kick your ass. And so that feels it's good. interesting. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. Right. But <laughs> yeah. you know, it's always been my lifesaver, my fitness, no matter what. And so now here specifically, since I took those mushrooms in 2019, which is a whole different story, but, um, <laughs> I started to get really tapped into my body yeah. and that's when I got into like biohacking. Like, you know, how, how do I, if you can hack into a computer, if you can life hack by learning these different things, like how can I hack my biology? And so I got into these little biohacks, things, like I said, meditating, understanding that you can heal yourself with breath and food, uh, getting into cold water, all these crazy things that science has shown and proven and that's now becoming more popular and more mainstream. Like we're not taught. And so, through the last two years, when the things have been the hardest, when my reality has been turned upside down, when I felt the most alienated by everything and everybody I ever knew, and I was left out to dry like this dude's crazy, the only thing I had to fall back on was my fitness and understanding my body. But what I discovered by doing this the last two years, by being here in nature, is I'm hoping that other people won't have to go into nature for two years and you know do the thing. But it's like um, I've realized that life really boils down to three main things. The first thing is, is understanding when your mind is becoming the enemy. That's the number one thing, because when you understand when, when you can become aware of when your mind is being the enemy, you can shift your mindset. The next thing is, is once you get your mind under control, the thing that follows and tags along is your heart. So it becomes down to emotional regulation. So if you can take a step back and understand, okay, when is my mind being the enemy? And then what is the emotional regulation technique I have to use to get myself back on track? And then the third part being understanding when you can master the mind and the breath, I'm sorry, the body and the breath, you can master life. And so my fitness now has become more than the weight room because it's really become more of a relationship with my body and not judging myself because my teeth aren't white enough or because I'm too short because I have love handles or because that guy's more big and manly than me. Like to finally, not to sound a hippy dippy, but to like love my body, to look in the mirror and honor it and to be like, bro, you're actually pretty jacked and in great shape. Like, why are you so hard on yourself? And mm -hmm. just to start to do these things. So my fitness has been everything. I can't, I can't preach enough, even more than my sobriety, more than anything, taking, learning to master my body and my breath is everything. Learning how to move it, to live with it, to use it. Like I get in cold water every day, like 35 degree cold water every day. When I was going through my breakup, I found out 10 days after we broke up, she was already with another dude. She had flown her and her kids out to like a whole nother state, right? The kids are like basically like my kids. And so I was about to have this meltdown and I wasn't trying to do anything. Like I wasn't, I wasn't trying to think about nothing. I wasn't trying no technique, but what I found myself was I processed the whole thing in like 10 minutes and I was truly able to let it go. And I took a step back and I was like, oh my God, because I closed my eyes when it happened. And the same, I guess I did visualize something, the same feeling I visualize when I get into that cold water every, every morning that I don't, that I never want to get into like this little cold dip I have. I, 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 every time I get in, I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And I breathe through it and I get out and I'm like, oh, like, God dang, I feel good. When that stressor happened in my real life, I just closed my eyes. and I was like, 
here we go. Like you just got to get in the water. And I sat and I felt that emotion and I felt it in my belly and in my heart and it ached and I was angry. But about 10 minutes later, I had made it so habitual through my fitness and wellness routine, my daily practices that my body responded to the same way it would respond as if I'd gotten into that cold tub. And it felt like, get out, get out, get out, get out. But I was sitting with it, sitting with it until my body goes, oh, okay. Yep. We can manage this and regulate this. The same thing happened in my emotional response. And so for anybody listening to this, I cannot preach enough getting your fitness in order and learning how to master your body and your breath, because it will help you through every single scenario you face in life. Yeah. I mean, that's the exact reason. And you put it so, so great. We put in CrossFit as part of the Elevate program, because I don't think enough programs focus on fitness. You know, back in the day, it was just about, you know, getting sober, white knuckling it, smoking some cigarettes, drinking some cheap <laughs> coffee, sitting in a dingy room. And that was sobriety. And, you know, we're trying to change that. And fitness <laughs> is key. You know, if your body feels good, if you can be in control of it, then, you know, you can you realize, like you said, you see the transformation, you feel the transformation, you realize you can you do feel it. it. Yeah. yeah, you feel strong. You look good. You feel good. and You want to go do good. You know? Yeah, I'm about it. CrossFit. um, I give it up to you guys. I train, I do like a lot of functional training, a lot, and a lot of kettlebell work. Nice. Like the, the, the box, the box scares me, man. I, 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 I think it's, I think which is why I probably should go. Cause I know if I, after I trim, actually I'm not probably, I should trim me up. You know what? How long have you guys been doing CrossFit? I've been doing it almost eight years. Eight years. Uh, you, probably like three, three and a half for me. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should give it a shot, man. You totally should. So and you would do challenge great myself. At it. There's always stuff yeah. that you're good at that you did not realize you were good at. And uh, there's nothing more empowering than throwing around some really heavy weight. Yeah, it's yeah. an awesome challenge. Yeah. It's I like bet. an adult Adults sport. Cardio. No, cardio. Adult what? It's like, uh, it's like the way I see it. It's like my football or baseball as a kid. It's like the new oh, sport 100%. for me. It's like learning 100%. to golf or something. It's like the challenge that never ends and breeds Bro, great results. Of- Speaking to Ed Milet, we were in the beginning, uh, he said something a long time ago that made me feel, start treating it like an athlete too, bro. Uh, Ed Milet was on stage at a place I was speaking to and he was like, um, oh, he was talking about how he lives his life. He's like, you have to understand I'm, I'm very in the moment. And so when I wake up in the morning and I put my hand on the bedroom door, he's like, I'm, I put my hand on that door and I become something different. When I step into the gym and I put my hand on that gym handle door and I open it up, I'm going in to be this where I put it on my, and so for me, that's my, I was like, oh damn. I was like, I've been working all these years, but Ed's right. So just like you do, I'll put on these like a uh, Conor McGregor videos before I'm going in. Where, oh, like, he's like best. preaching about all this stuff he's going to do and talking about it and going, hey, I'll put it on. I'll get on the zone. And I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about enough is that there is a darkness inside of all of us. Like there's a devil inside of all of us. And if, if you're facing your recovery and your sobriety in a way where you're trying to vilify that, or you're trying to, uh, shove that down you are going to lose like there's that old like um native american saying there's two wolves inside you a good one and a bad one yeah. and whichever one you feed the most is the one that wins well that's a bs because you know what a starving animal will do and it's anything to survive and it's like if you try to starve out that bad wolf inside of you it's going to get to the point when it fights back so hard you will not be able to withstand it and so for me knowing that I don't try to suppress that competitive edge, although I'm not about competition, I'm about collaboration. I don't try to suppress that anger, although I believe in love definitely over anger. Instead, I've just found healthy outlets for me to show up that way. And so the fitness thing tied into that, but being the challenge and becoming that person, I, I think, okay, what is the type of person that I need to get out? What is that energy? And it's the guy that's like, oh, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to dominate you. Like who's against me, but I don't have an outlet for that. So I do that when I'm in the gym. And so I love that you say it like that, but I just let the, I just, I get the devil out in the morning in the gym or I get that bad energy out and then I'm good to go love on everybody for the whole day. But I find if I don't attack that first thing in the morning, I'm a little, it'll start trickling in perturbed, (laughs) perturbed throughout the day to say the least. Dude, that's so awesome. Well, I'm glad I asked you about the fitness, man, because those were those were uh, some good takeaways from it. And I guess one of my, you know, my last questions for you, brother, is like, where do you see yourself in your sobriety? Like, what are you hoping for? What do you what do you want to get from it, if anything? Yeah. Like, as you're continuing I, this journey, I know this probably sounds cliche, and I know that there's a lot of people that won't relate to this, unfortunately. But because of my extensive experience and background of what I've been doing the last eight years. I have everything that I could ever possibly hope for from my sobriety already. I don't, I mean, I know that, I know that people think I'm nuts, I'm not trying to be nuts, guys. I, I swear to God, time is just not linear. It's all happening at once. And so I'm very okay with that. And I understand that infinite possibilities exist and that, that I just get to live into anyone that I want. And I only can believe and have faith in that now because of my sobriety. And so it's not like I have to wait any longer for sobriety. I, my being has been ready to feel like this and vibrate like this for a very long time. But my, so my alcoholism and cocaine addiction kept me from it. And so, you know, I, I can't even imagine what I could possibly get that I don't already have. I feel so full with love and purpose and peace in my life. It doesn't mean that I'm always happy. It just means that when I'm having a breakdown, I look at myself like, like, yeah, I'm crying and sobbing, like with a sad movie and the girl I don't have, but like the real true me is like up above being like, yeah, bro, look at you really living. Keep (laughs) doing it, man. And so for me, it's like, what else could I possibly get? Like I have everything I I could possibly want. And so now I'm just excited. It's funny. I'm actually sitting in front of a Columbia Falls community garden. It's a, it's a literally, it's a free garden. It's massive. And to end this whole thing, it's like, I literally feel for the first time in my life, like I have nothing to do. Like literally life is a playground. And I just found this out and somebody just goes, bro, this is your entire garden. And I've only got one little section started so far. I have no idea what I'm even going to plant over there yet. I don't even care. But right now I'm just going to focus on this tomato plant and I'm going to focus on this, this little freaking watermelon plant or whatever. Right. And that's (laughs) it. And I feel so okay with that because I already know the future exists where my garden is full of all these beautiful things and flowers and food and abundance. And I don't know if I got, if I'm going to die on the way home, if I'm going to live to be 120 or somewhere in between. And so my sobriety has given me the ability to be present. And in that presence, in that presence, I've had to face a lot of doubt and fear that I've hidden and run from my entire life. But now with this hundred days and the training that I've already had of my whole life, the experience I've been experiencing the last two years, I'm able to look at all this and go, oh my God, of course. And I'm able to slow down. I'm like, you got to slow down to speed up. Less is more. And that's what I'm finding out. And now I'm like, dude, I know what the rat light race is like to try to save the world. And you can save the world, but how about we save ourselves first? And yes, there's the 0.01% of the entrepreneurs who are the Ed Milets and the Andy Frisellas and all those people. But when you really think of all the entrepreneurs there are in the world or all the people trying to recover in the world, like 99% of people in the world, like, they're doing the same thing. They're watching a few people, they're judging themselves and they're not even doing the things that they want. And so my sobriety has given me the ability for, I think now to show up in my purpose for God, which is, I don't know why I have the gift of gab, but he gave it to me. And so I guess I'm probably supposed to use that for something. And so if there's anything my sobriety could bring me, it's just the chance just to save more lives and not from an ego standpoint, because like 
Did you know the game is so rigged against us that when we feel good, we get good? Like people think it's like some kind of guilty pleasure that if you do things that make you feel good for doing things to other people, that like, oh my God, you're co- cocky, you're pretentious. But no, the game is literally what it's rigged for you that if you do good things and feel good, you'll get good. And so I'm just excited to give this feeling to more people. That's the only thing that sobriety could give me is just an opportunity to impact more people. But again, it's more of just living into that reality than anything. Whew, I love that. Yeah, that's a beautiful yeah. answer, man. Drop the mic. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, we're uh, we're gonna post this episode and get it to more people, dude. Because I uh, I agree. Cool, I think it's it's a good story to hear, and uh, I'm super happy for you. It's been great talking dude, to you. This has been awesome, dude. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for giving me a platform. This is the first time I've ever shared this story, um, ever so far yet. So I really really appreciate it. And uh, obviously, you didn't have to say on air, but anything that I could ever do for you guys at all to support you as far as promoting or sharing or anything at all like just please don't ever hesitate to ask i mean i think what you guys are doing is amazing getting an opportunity to tell these stories and people that are listening to it for you guys to lead from the front but eat last um it's just uh, it's the kind of energy that i want to be around and to be part of this is something really special so thank you so very much and again anything i can do to support you guys by all means please just reach out let me know i like to think we're, we're, we're friends now for real someday we'll we are in real life definitely and i may <laughs> take you up on that <laughs> These retreats cool. sound yeah, pretty anytime. awesome. You never know when I just need to unplug. So yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely look at that. So how can well, our or, people- or, or, or what we got to do is start a sober retreat where all three of us do something together and we find sober entrepreneurs that, that don't have sober friends and help them and we all make money together. That Ooh. sounds amazing. Now we're talking, brother. Let's go. That's, that's- the Elevate Experience Retreat. Yes. How to have fun for three days sober. If you're good at business but suck at having fun, Come see us. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. I love that. And so, and you know what? A lot of people need to be taught how to have fun sober. It's yes. not, it doesn't come naturally. Like they need to learn how to do it. And, and we're definitely Let's the go. people for that, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so how can I our viewers find you. you? Tell us the best way you they can what? reach out. Listen, I've been, I've been working online and marketing for a long time. There's a gajillion things I could send you to, but I'm so tired of all the other things, I just really want to connect with people for real, like for real, for real. I just want to know who you are. So if you're listening to this, you can follow me literally on any social media channel at Marshall Gillen. I'm on Instagram the most, but like, just follow me on Instagram. Like, let's just connect. I want to see what's going on in your life. I have a lot of free time. So I like to see what my friends are up to and kind of watch their stories too. So if you guys are into this or you guys want to get to know me at all, just reach out, follow me at Marshall Gillen on Instagram and uh, let's link up and just play and have a good time. Awesome. Love that. Thank you so much for being our guest. You provided you. a ton of great insight for our viewers. And uh, I think everybody's going to love it. Appreciate it. No idea. Hey, well, dude. Cool. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free, confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.